0: Hello listeners, and welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. It's a new year, and after a brief hiatus, we're happy to be back. Today, I'm your host, Greg, and I'm joined by many familiar voices. I'm Jake. I'm Prabang. And I'm Carter. All right, great. So before we get started, did anyone do anything interesting over a break?
1: I did one of the career advancement tracks. I thought that was uh, very interesting. Mine was Humanities in Paris. What did you think of your Humanities track card? I thought it was very interesting. Uh, of course, when one of the main takeaways I did learn was that uh, Humanities in Paris often involve a strong command of French, which I unfortunately do not have. I have a functioning Italian, but uh, I don't really have a lot of uh, French, <laughs> French language abilities, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> did most people on the track speak French?
1: Uh, not most, but I would say there were a good number of them who did, and they would fare much better trying to get a job in France. <laughs> what
2: about you, Jake? I was just at home
3: in Boston. It was very, it was very restful. Um, I, I liked that about my break. How about you, Brov? Same here. Very much, uh, very much a long uh, sort of uh, decompression session, I suppose, after after a stressful fall quarter.
2: One thing that I did
3: enjoy doing over the break was watching
2: the World Cup. It gave me a bit of a new appreciation for soccer, something that UChicago students might have been hearing about through the World Cup and also the fact that our team just won the Division Three championship about a month ago. Um, after amassing 16 wins, one tie, and no losses during the regular season, your UChicago men's soccer team became national champions in Division Three after beating Williams College 2 to nothing in Salem, Virginia. And In the process, their coach, Julianne Sitch, became the first ever female head coach to win any men's collegiate soccer championship. This was only the second NCAA team championship for UChicago in any sport, after last year's D3 victory in men's tennis. Coming into the game, UChicago had the stronger track record. Williams had a mediocre regular season, drawing more games than they won, but they had managed a number of upsets en route to the finals. But the Maroons were able to shut out their opposition with the only two goals of the game coming from UChicago's Robbie Pino and Ryan Getyshefsky. When the game was over, their head coach, Julianne Sitch, walked out onto the field with only a small smile, applauding the job her student-athletes had done. But when she was ambushed by some players off her bench with a Gatorade cooler, she broke into a grin. This article was originally reported by Finn Hartnett and is available on the Maroons' website.
3: It's a very fortuitous sort of combination of events and that the world cup and uh this collegiate uh victory for you chicago happening around the same time like you i've sort of kindled an interest in, in the sport which i didn't really have before because of both of these things
1: yeah i mean i'd not really watched a lot of soccer um once again on when i was on the track and francis of course i had i couldn't avoid soccer <laughs> um and it was definitely an interesting activity. You didn't have to be watching the game to hear when when the country scored a goal. Scored yeah, were, were you there when
2: they won the final?
1: Uh, well, France didn't win the, the final. I was there when oh, they when Jesus they won Christ. against uh, I think it was Morocco. <laughs> and that, I mean, I I was, I was sort of walking through the streets, and I could hear a goal before I was even watching the game. Okay, were you there when they lost the
2: final? <laughs> I was in a plane, and the, the whole plane was watching it virtually. That's uh, funny. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I was, I'm sorry, I just remembered Mbappe's goals and attributed that to them winning, but they, they didn't win, despite his heroics.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was, it was nice that you know, there, there was this overlap that so many people are, are engaged with soccer because of the World Cup, and the fact that it overlaps with the University of Chicago's first uh, division championship in, this, in the sport, I think, it means that there can be a lot more attention to the University of Chicago's athletes um, and, and to their victory.
3: Yeah, and earlier this fall, the cross-country team also, not the entire D3 championship, but they won the, the UAA conference, which was also good news for the athletes. Oh, I didn't know that. Good to know. And the Marine reported on that as well back in November. But uh, the, the another interesting thing about the, the, time, the, the timeliness is that the, the day the UChicago team won was also the day the USA team lost to the Netherlands in the round of 16. Which uh, I, I, watched, I watched one match, and then like a couple hours later, I heard that you Chicago had won, and I'm sure a lot of people who were commiserating the loss of our national team felt a little better a couple hours later. Yeah, as for me, I was way more invested
0: in the World Cup than I thought it would be. I was initially rooting for the US just you know, because I live here. Um, but eventually I was rooting for France, and I was really disappointed. Um, during the final. It was a crazy final. Um, yeah. Um, all right, so next story will go to me and I will report on a vigil held in December. So on December 5th, over 100 community members gathered on the main quad to one of the 10 victims of an apartment fire in Xinjiang, China. The fire, which broke out in a residential high rise had become a focal point for those protesting China's zero COVID policy which I'll add has recently been repealed. Many here and in China at the time felt stringent lockdown measures, including a roadblock and the building's building's closed fire exit, delayed emergency responders from responding to the fire. The tragedy sparked mass demonstrations across major cities in China against the zero-COVID policy, and thousands of protesters demanded that the government lift COVID-related restrictions, with some going as far as to challenge China's leader Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, the UChicago vigil drew students from a variety of places and institutions, including Ohio State University and Northwestern. Other universities across the country, such as Columbia, Harvard, and Duke, organized similar events. And the story was first reported by Yuan Liu, and is up on the Maroons website.
1: It's interesting to hear that an event uh, you know so far away is is drawing action from students here locally. Um, it really goes to just the power that we have in the United States have Experienced similar lockdown measures and similar, um, you know, institutions. And China's going through those a lot later than America did. And to see that echoing um, across the ocean and, and having a, such a reaction locally is, is quite interesting.
3: Another thing that's interesting to me is that I remember back in sort of mid-2020, I suppose, when China was all but done with the virus it seemed like they had contained it relatively well compared to Europe and the U.S. we were still struggling with it well into 2021 but I guess this this is a, this is a lesson that's basically you know COVID can always catch up with you pandemic uh other uh situations that you think you're done with them but you maybe you, you never really are yeah, um, I think the most shocking stat that I've heard about
2: China and COVID in recent days is that um, this may have been a few weeks ago. Um, it was reported that half of the passengers on planes from China into Italy had COVID. Mm. Half. Wow. And I, I imagine that it w- wasn't actually true that half the population of China had COVID at the time, but it's it's crazy that from that subset of the population, like that's what it was, fifty mm. percent. So it's it's really. Um, tearing through china at the moment and i mean i hope they figure out a way through it
1: yeah i've definitely heard of new a new variant coming through and it would not surprise me if next week we
2: are reporting on yet another variant of covid yeah, i believe the variant xbb is now dominant in new england making up um over 75 percent of cases and i'm
0: sure it'll hit the midwest in earnest before too long i'll also say that people have been pretty vocal about this i would say for a while on campus um I've seen chalk in front of Cockgate. I've also seen flyers in Max P and in Bartlett. Um, So yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. And I guess it kind of culminated in that. And personally, I'm relieved to see that the restrictions have been lifted. Um, Yeah. And as I remember, if I remember correctly, they're actually lifting like today. If you look, Mm -hmm. uh, there's like a Wall Street Journal article. You look at flight bookings and they've spiked like, around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so for our next story, we go to Carter with a story on Provost. Yes, in an email
1: dated December 9th of last year, President Paul Alivisatos announced that Provost Kai Yi C. Lee would be stepping away from the role of Provost to the newly created role of Executive Vice President for Strategic Initiatives. Lee has served as Provost since February 1st, 2020, shortly before the pandemic swept the world. Alongside working to minimize the impact of that pandemic on students, including by communicating tuition assistance initiatives to the student body, Lee has overseen the launch of a number of new initiatives, including the Data Science Institute and the Department of Race, Diaspora, and Indigeneity. President Alavisatos explained in his email that Lee's new role as Executive Vice President for Strategic Initiatives is designed to oversee new opportunities that exist, quote, at the intersections of disciplines and in partnership with other institutions." End quote. Provost Lee will continue to serve as provost until a successor is named and begins in the role, which is expected to occur by the end of this quarter. For a deeper look into Provost Lee's career and tenure, see the article by Emma Jensen on the Maroons'
3: website. This just supposed to show how, how, uh, how much can happen in just two years. Uh, because uh, since February 1st, 2020, as as you said, Carter, there have been so many changes to the university. Uh, there's always obviously been COVID and uh, even a new president. So uh, I guess it's it's just interesting to see how only over a short period of time with uh, Pr- uh provost Lee's tenure, uh, a lot has happened and she's had a lot to do with it. All right. Yeah, it- particularly for me. I mean, I, I'm a fourth year I believe
1: all of your second years. Um, I started before she took over as provost and, of course, before the pandemic. And it really does feel like a different place um, before and after the pandemic. And just a lot has changed. And really, four years is not very much time. Can you elaborate
2: on what some of those changes have
1: been? Well, certainly the community is materially different. Um, the The scope of activities that are available... Um, the the school spirit is is quite different and, and there are a lot of things that are coming back. I know the student abro- uh, study abroad fair is coming this Wednesday for the first time since before the pandemic and similar events that have have been working to build community or to promote information are returning but they're just um you know it, it's very late um, in, in comparison and, and it it just doesn't really feel like the same place because of those changes because
2: of that gap. So, so you think that there are like substantively fewer activities available, a little less connectivity? I think it's more about of...
1: traditions. There yeah. are substantively fewer traditions at least in my experience. Um, I, I, I'm part of Alper House in Max East and I've been there, this is my fourth year in the house. Yeah. So I've seen you know what, what it used to be and what it is now and at the very least in terms of house events and in terms of um, student offerings it's just, it's at least I haven't seen as many. If they exist, they're less well-publicized. There is not as much campus awareness of them. And it's really taking a lot of time to re- return to anything like what it was beforehand.
2: Prevan and I are in Halperin House in South. And I remember that last year. Um, I, I just remember hearing that there hadn't wasn't anyone in that house who had been there before COVID. Not wow. the RHs, not... Second years and the R. One of our the RAs had been there the year before, but um, again, no one, no one from before COVID. So there are certain traditions where we just don't really know what had been happening necessarily, um, and so certain things get lost. And you can try to make your own traditions, make your own community, and that can work for a lot of people, but for others it won't, and there will be some substantive fabric that is lost. What, what do you think about this problem?
3: Yeah, I I agree with that. I have been in both of your houses, actually. I was I was an Alper last year. Um, and I think that though there uh, there isn't, you know, there's been, there are preconceived notions on, um, on house culture in certain houses and traditions in certain houses compared to other houses or certain residence halls compared to other residence halls. I think the uh, randomization when you're in first year and when you don't really, when you can specify which buildings you want to be in but it's it's generally randomized and um you you really get luck of the draw i feel like that's that and COVID have uh, both been major contributors to sort of this decline of traditions that we're all seeing in, in in the dorms and i just hope that we can find a way to sort of preserve these things um and you know maybe when we Come back and visit the university in 10-15 years time it'll be a completely different place um if you know even in two or four years um as we're seeing uh, but hopefully we can still see some of the things that have made our our experience so wonderful and unique when uh, when we're no longer here
0: Carter, would you say at the time the housing policy change was controversial which housing policy change Actually, I don't know. Do you mean the one that said that uh, students now had to stay on for two years instead of just one? I mean the other one, like uh, students couldn't select dorms. They would they had to, like, rank preferences. Or is that before you came here? So that was, uh, that changed after. So
1: my, my year, we were allowed to select a preference okay. for, for our dorms. It was after that that they decided they would select your dorms by your humanities sequence, I believe. At least that was what I heard.
2: Yeah, that's sort of the vague outline of it, but I don't, I don't think anyone ever knows based on their humanities pick um, right. where they end up. And like, it's, it's not like everyone in a given house is in the same humanities class. It's mm-hmm. like in a given house, maybe they're like three or four.
1: I think that was done during the pandemic specifically so that they could minimize, um, or that is to say that individuals who were in the same humanities class could be in the same building and they could see each other without yeah. risking further spread. Um, i don't know that that was something that would have been done without the pandemic
0: mm. that's a good point all right so we can move on to our next story we have one on du from
3: pervon yes as many of you have heard delta Upsilon no longer has a chapter on the u chicago campus the governing body of the fraternity delta Upsilon international or dui for short cites several fa- failures of the Chicago chapter in representing the organization and its board has voted to revoke their charter. Some of these concerns include failure to meet the conduct guidelines expressed in the Men of Merit chapter standards, which are issued from the top, the $60,000 of debt owed to DUI, the rundown quality of the house, and complaints from neighbors about noise, trash, and hazing. DOI also cited the unpreparedness and irresponsibility of the four chapter representatives, for a hearing in November regarding the state of the chapter. Uh, on the U Chicago side, the former chapter claims they received little financial help from DUI after the pandemic struck, and they express a long-standing desire to sever ties with the fraternity. They consider the revocation, quote, mutually beneficial, and since publication of this article, actually, the chapter has rebranded and is continuing activities as the Iron Key Society. This article by Austin Zeglis is available in print and on the Marine website. Their international name is actually DUI. Yes it is. <laughs> I hadn't even picked that up. Nice. That's
2: that's brutal. Oof. I wonder I wonder if they use that terminology. Like if they if they ever use that in oh, themselves? I wouldn't if I were them. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs>
1: huh? yeah. <laughs> it's interesting though that they yeah they can just rebrand their name and continue on exactly as they were going. I find it a little bit odd that they don't hear that they have been reprimanded for being essentially bad neighbors and for hazing, and they're like, yeah, let's just not change, and we'll just
2: change our name. It's an interesting way to go. Well, hopefully they, um, their neighbors get some respite and they, they reform.
0: i also yeah. say that Freds have a bigger presence here than I thought. I'm looking at a Maroon article from 2016. It says about, like, a 1,000 students participate in Greek, in Greek life. They're like to participate mean that they are members of fraternities, or that they go to frats. Really would mean really doesn't mean, mean that or are Yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so it says five hundred seventy-five in non-MGC fraternities, four fifty-six active members in non-MGC sororities, and fifty in MGC. I'm not sure what MGC means though. Multicultural yeah. Greek groups. There we go. That's what we're calling them. All right. That's interesting. Um, All right, and then for our next story, we'll go back to Carter for a story on a fire
1: in Woodlawn. Sure, a very brief one. While winter quarter is famously cold here in Chicago, a student in Yovovich House in Woodlawn Residential Commons managed to turn up the heat on January 2nd. The Chicago (laughs) Fire Department (laughs) was called to extinguish, quote, a small fire in a single occupancy room, end quote. Fortunately, nobody was injured, and damage was limited to the affected room, but the student in question was arrested by the Chicago Police Department. The fire is still being investigated. For more information, see Michael McClure's article on the Maroon website.
2: Have there been multiple like so-called woodlawn arsonists? I like I've heard <laughs> I believe a there of a number of issues around that building.
1: I've heard of one other fire. I don't recall what it was. Um, but I believe this is not the first time that there has been a so-called arsonist in a legend arsonist, alleged yes, in in the Woodland Reserve Commons. Despite it being only open for what two, three
3: years, I believe <laughs> I believe the first fire was um, was last year, uh, I think uh, around around finals week of fall quarter um, in Rustandy House. Though I may be wrong about that. I, I did not read a Maroon article back then about the fire. So. It may not have been covered. I know that not every
2: fire alarm gets a Maroon article, but this one has resulted in some legal action. Mm. So, I have to say, I have been, once again, I've been in, in Max East for,
1: this is my fourth year, I have never once had a fire alarm pulled. I don't know what it is.
2: You've never, you've don't never had to go outside South, at night for one, a fire alarm? Never. Not in the once. South it happens, not all the time, but often enough. Um, there was one day last winter quarter when I didn't bother like putting socks on, and I think I just went out in my Crocs without socks. And I was I was dying out. <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. It's a brutal night.
1: I don't know what it is in in the clown
2: jail, but nothing <laughs> nothing that has made us go outside yet. And I heard recently that Max P was actually designed to look like a sunset or something. That that's why I could I could sort clowns. of see it.
1: I heard it was made meant to uh, contrast with the brutalism of the reg and the collegiate gothic of, uh, of Bartlett. And it certainly does manage to contrast, I'll say this. Yes, indeed. nice thing about being in Max East is you don't have to look at Max East from the inside. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> All right. Wait, sorry. I, I was trying to remember a fact that I read about Max P, about its design. They modeled it after, I don't know, some something in like the southwest. Um, would it be like Pueblos or something Pueblos that's Pueblos, exactly it okay. right
1: interesting
2: um, really other than the color being vaguely desert like <laughs> I don't know yeah, no, I think Stanford
0: yeah. does it better <laughs> yeah I have to say I owe them max too um, this is just my subjective opinion I, I don't like it at all I think aesthetically, it's probably the worst building on campus. I do. I do agree with
2: Carter, though. Like, I don't know how much that outside the outside of your building, like, how much it actually affects your enjoyment in any way. Yeah, We're i mean, not really inside. Like, much. really, who cares? I never. I rarely like stop and just observe the outside of South. and just you know walking through the door.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, you look at North and Woodlawn, though. To me, those are like really aesthetically nice. And also on the inside, but other people would
3: argue that they're also sterile. That's true. Yeah, North feels very sterile. Yeah. The complaints about North that I've... Some of the complaints about North that I've heard are the wind tunnel outside, mm-hmm. um, which in Chicago doesn't... didn't seem like a good idea for a lot of people. And the uh, fact that you have to take an elevator to the second floor, or go up to the second floor to take the elevator to your respective floor, which also seemed like an architectural oversight but yeah it's very odd I mean I guess for security measures it might help
1: a little bit but I don't think that's what the design was for and of course the walls in woodland oh, the infamous walls I've never actually been inside I've been to the dining commons never been inside the, inside the dorm though
2: yeah the, their house lounges are, have nothing on ours in South Exactly.
1: Really, they're, they're really small. Really small. <laughs> Your long is in South, They're really nice, I have to say, compared to the ones in Max East, at least. Yeah, I do, I do like South a lot,
0: so I think South is, is the wave.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, let's move on to our last shout-out to Cuvia. Someone wants to explain what that is? Sure. Cuvia is an event that occurs
1: every year in winter quarter, put on by the Council and University Programming, and it is... It occurs in i believe crown field house at 6 30 a.m beginning with sun salutations and then workshops for a number of different rso's on campus um for example i recall my first year i did swing dancing despite having my leg in a brace um i, I believe there has been ones from circus rso or martial arts rso's various dancing salsa etc I'm not entirely sure what the offerings are this year, but it will be a, you know, a selection of those, of those uh, different activities. Um, and at the end, they usually have like bagels and capri suns. For individuals who show up all five days, there is a coveted Kuvia shirt, which I have now received three years in a row, and I expect to get a fourth. So I hope to see you all Monday at 6.30 a.m. in Crown Fieldhouse. House.
2: I hope to see myself Monday at 6.30 a.m. in the Crown <laughs> Fieldhouse, but my track record on waking up for things that start at 6.30 a.m. is not great. So we'll see about that one. Do, do you have a favorite shirt out of the three that you've My first-year shirt, yes. First-year. With a cute depiction of a
1: polar bear and a sun. But yeah, that's my, it's my favorite Cuvia shirt. It's also the only Cuvia I've attended in person since for two years. Cuvia has been online, but this year it is back again in person. Can no longer simply turn on your Zoom. Remember that Friday does occur not at Crown Field House but at The Point
2: uh, for those sun salutations. Well, I hope
0: to see you wearing your Kuvia shirt here ne- next week, Carter. Oh I, oh, I will be wearing it. All right, I think that's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, I'm Greg. I'm Jake. I'm Prabhup. And, and I'm Carter. And we'll see you next week.